Shalom and blessings. This is Pastor Clifton McDowell Sr. here at the Church of God of East New York, located in the heart of Brooklyn. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray this week's sermon blesses and encourages you for the journey. God bless. Now enjoy the sermon. Here this morning that we say you are welcome here. We say that we want to be flooded with your presence. We want there to be a deluge from heaven of your presence, Father. We want you to move in ways that you haven't and we haven't seen you move before. So Father, in this word today, would you do just that? Abba, it's been a long time since I prayed this, but God, nobody needs to hear from Mark Atkinson today. But people need to hear from the spirit of the living God, from Jehovah Jireh, from the Lord of glory, from the King of kings, and from the Alpha and the Omega. That is who we came to hear from today. So would you speak to us, Lord God Almighty, in your mighty, precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord today. Praise team, thank you so much uh, for working with me and for that wonderful, wonderful worship. Um, and I'm excited about today's service. I'm excited about today's message because I really do feel that the Spirit wants to say something to all of us. And, and so first I want to give honor to the leader of this house, the leaders of this house, my pastor and my first lady. And, and y'all, if, if I could just share something real small, um, our pastor does a lot. And I don't think we realize how much he actually does. But I was in only four meetings with him this week, and I was tired. Um, and he just keeps on going and keeps on going and keeps on pushing for the body of Christ. And I just want to honor him and thank him for his tireless work and dedication to this church body. Second, I want to thank my mama. Um, I want to honor my mom. Mom, I love you and I feel God's love through you. And I honestly believe that that's one of the highest compliments that you could give to, to someone, that I feel God from you, off you, and through you. And so I love you. I want to give honor to my family in London who covers me, challenges me, prophesies over me, and always, always, always surrounds me with love. I love all of you. Thank you for being here with me today. And my church family, I love y'all. Um, and it's been a wonderful thing to grow up among this body, and it's another wonderful thing to do ministry with this body of the local church of God. And so I honor all of you. I love you. I thank you for being here. And I promise you that we have a word from the Lord today. Um, so as we're going to get started, I'm going to get started this way. The title of this message actually comes from a phrase taken directly from a verse that the Holy Spirit sort of dropped into my heart this week. And if we look at 1 Thessalonians 5, it's the end of Paul talking to the church at Thess Thessalonica. And as he's at the end of talking to the church at Thessalonica, Paul does something that he's known well for doing. At the end of a letter to a church, he does something that we know he does often. 
At the end, he does something that I like to call the laundry list or the don't forget before you leave home list. He, he usually goes through a litany of things just like we do when we're leaving the kids at home before we go on a trip. He, he says all of these important things that he may not have gotten to address in the letter, but he says them in the last chapter because he doesn't want them to forget. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're about to go on a trip, you're, you're walking out of the door, and you lean back inside the door and you yell to the kids, don't forget the dishes. Make sure you do your homework. Be nice to your sister. Don't let me catch you fighting, right? We know that that is what we would do when we are leaving our kids to take care of themselves because they're of age while we are going somewhere else. Paul does the same thing. He's doing this laundry list, this don't forget list, because he doesn't want the church in Thessalonica to forget some very important things. So he says things like, don't forget to rejoice always. Don't forget to pray continually. Don't forget to give thanks in all circumstances. But then he gets to something in the laundry list that sort of stops me in my tracks. He, he gets to this piece of the laundry list, and I can imagine he says it quickly, but there's such weight to the phrase that he says. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. He says, do not quench the spirit. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, and do not quench the spirit. That's going to be our title for today. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and put that in the chat. Do not quench the spirit. Once again, do not quench the spirit. Now, if I'm honest with y'all, the reason why this verse stopped me in my tracks was because I found it quite curious, to be honest with you. Nowadays, quenching things is a good thing. For example, if you've had a long day outside in the middle of the summer, you are feeling the sun's hot rays beat down on you all day. You are naturally getting thirsty because your body is telling you, you need water. You need to get something to drink. You've been outside, you're dehydrated, you're thirsty. The first thing you look to do is to find either a place to go buy something or to go home so that you can get that nice ice cold glass of water. Oh, y'all know what I'm talking about. The glasses of water that are so cold that it starts to fog up on the outside. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Those glasses of water that feel so refreshing for you to drink. And you drink this water and your thirst is quenched. I thought that, I thought that was a good thing. But Paul here says, don't quench the spirit. Even if we look at modern media, and if we look at consumer culture, Sprite, what's its tagline? Quench your thirst. Obey your thirst. Gatorade, thirst quencher. And I'm sure if any of you had a fire in your house and you called 911, you would not want them to say, oh, we don't quench those. No, nah, we don't do that. We don't quench fires. We, we just let them rage. I, I think you would be upset. I think you would be frustrated. I think there would be something that rises up within you that says, I need this 
fire extinguished. But Paul says the opposite. Paul says, do not extinguish, stifle, quench the spirit. Now, when we're looking at this, we must recognize that the way things work naturally is sometimes different than the way things work supernaturally. The way things work in the natural is a little bit different than the way that things work in the supernatural. For example, in the natural, we like to control fires because if they get out of control, they could destroy everything. However, in the supernatural, Hebrews calls our God an all-consuming fire. In the supernatural, when the day of Pentecost happens in the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit falls, it says he fell like tongues of fire on each of the people that were present. So we see that in the natural, we, did, we, we try to extinguish and quench fires. However, in the supernatural, it is our job to make sure they continue to rage. What does this all mean? What does this all mean? It means that the Holy Spirit desires to be untamed in your life. He desires to be fully, to have full access to all areas of your life. He desires that fire, his fire, would touch every part of your life. If you think about fire, you can't just contain fire somewhere. You have to extinguish it or it gets everywhere. And that is how God wants to dwell, be, live, and act in our lives. He wants to be everywhere. But not just that, he wants to be on everything. He wants to be on everything you own. He wants to be in every relationship that you have. He wants to be the changing factor in the environment that you live in. Do not quench the spirit. Now, why am I preaching about this today? It's because if I'm honest, I believe we have a conundrum going on. The fact of the matter is I think most of us and a lot of us quench the spirit on a daily basis and don't even realize it. A, a lot of us are extinguishing the fire that God has placed inside of us to take care of and to let rage. We are extinguishing it because it's more comfortable. We, we, we don't let the fire rage because there are some things we don't want the fire to touch. And we know that fire is indiscriminate. It will touch whatever it wants to touch. And if there are some things in our lives that we say, no, I don't want you to touch it, you can't speak to fire and tell it not to touch something. It's going to touch whatever it wants to. So the only way we can control what God touches in our lives and what he doesn't touch in our lives is by extinguishing the fire in our lives. So I'm going to tell you a, a quick story. A quick story about what it means to quench the fire of God. And three keys, I'm going to give you three simple keys to make sure that the fire of God is not quenched in your life. So here we go. I'm going to start with this story. And this story is from Matthew 13, 53 to 58. 
I love this story, y'all, so forgive me if I get a little bit excited. But it says, when Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustration, illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. Somebody say, Jesus went home. Jesus went home. And so when he taught there in the synagogue at home, everyone was amazed. And they said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then, I'm sure there was always, there's always got to be one. Then, I'm sure there was a voice in the crowd. Then, they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And here is what I believe is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. He says, and so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Jesus in this story comes home. And when you come home after a long time, you're expecting a good reception. You're expecting some good food. You're expecting to come home to people that love you. You are expecting a warm welcome. And he comes home, and the first place Jesus goes to is the synagogue. He goes to the church, and he starts preaching and teaching in the, in the church. He also does a few miracles in the church, and people there are absolutely amazed. They are astounded. They are asking themselves, who is this man? Who is this man who does miracles and teaches with such wisdom, power, and authority? Who is this Jesus? But then there was one voice in the crowd, I'm sure, I'm sure there was one voice in the crowd that said, wait, 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 wait. I recognize him. We see, we, we know this, we know this. Ain't this the carpenter's son? Ain't this the guy we grew up with who was always chopping trees? Ain't this that Jesus? Ain't this that Jesus that we went to school with? We know his people. Who is this? How dare he? Their who is this man turned into a how dare he? How dare he come among us and teach us? They got offended. How dare, we grew up with you. Who you think you are to teach us? And they get offended. And this offense happens, and Jesus is so disappointed, so dejected, so upset, because of their unbelief, that he gets upset and he says, I can't even do miracles in my home the place where I grew up, where I know my family members are. I can't do miracles in the place where I should have been openly accepted because y'all don't believe in me. And he left. So how did this happen? How did this happen that Jesus was not able to do miracles at home? How did it happen that a group of people in the church quenched the spirit? How did that happen? Well, first, I think they were used to who Jesus 
was and not who he is. I'm going to say that one more time. First, I think they were used to who Jesus was and not who Jesus is. They were used to the Jesus they grew up with. And they were so used to the Jesus they grew up with, they could not recognize the Messiah standing right in front of them. That they were so used to seeing this Jesus that they played with as a child that when the Messiah, the God Almighty, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who came to save them, stood in front of them, they could not understand nor perceive that this was the God they were waiting on. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that for many of us, we are so comfortable with what God has done that we do not have a radical imagination about what God can do. We are so comfortable with how we've seen him move in the past, with the glory days, with the golden days, that we don't expect that Jesus can make some platinum days. We, we, we don't realize that Jesus is the same God who still moves. That's why when we sing a song like, I want to know you more, it will always be relevant because there is always more to know about Jesus. There is always more to experience about Jesus. But have we gotten too comfortable with who we think he is that we can't expect and we can't experience who he really is? Have we gotten too comfortable? You see, some of us don't actually experience moves of God in our lives. We visit moves of God in our lives. We don't experience them. We visit them. For example, many of us experience moves of God through church. But those moves of God are not evident in our own lives because we are not experiencing Jesus on our own in our own quiet times at home. So we wait till we get to church to experience a move of God, to shout and to holler, but the rest of the week is quiet. The rest of the week, the spirit is quenched. The rest of the week, nothing, a supernatural power occurs in our life. And we wait every day to visit the move of God when God is saying, I want you to live in a move of God. I don't want you to be visiting my moves. I want you to live in a move of the spirit. So what's the first key? The first key is they got too comfortable. They, 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 they got too uh, comfortable with who he was that they couldn't recognize what he is. So what's the key there? The key is that we need to be spending time with God. Now, I know y'all have heard this before. I've said this up here before. A lot of us have said this up here before. But I think there's an even more harrowing reason for us to do it well. And that reason is that this pandemic has disrupted all of our lives. And if I'm honest with you, my quiet times with God during the pandemic were so disrupted. I wasn't used to being home all the time. And I know people are starting to go back to work, but we're still living with this disruption of the pandemic that has disrupted our rhythms and the cycles of life that we once had and if we're not careful, and if we don't prioritize keeping the main thing the main thing and spending time with Jesus every day, what we'll live is a life that is functionally atheistic. We'll live a life that is functionally an atheist lifestyle. Why? Because we visit God 
but we don't experience him on our own. And what is the difference? What is the difference between someone who doesn't believe in God and someone who never experiences God so doesn't really know if he can move in their own life? What I'm saying to you is this. You can't experience someone you don't spend time with. You can't experience the move of someone in your life that you don't spend time with. So the first thing we have to do is we have to make sure we are spending that time with God. Here's the second thing. Second thing is this. Just blanket statement. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. These people saw Jesus and they were comfortable with who they thought he was. And they missed out. They missed out on who he is. Don't get too comfortable with what you've seen God do or what you expect God to be. Scripture says he will do exceedingly and abundantly be above and beyond all that you can ever think or ask. But our problem is we never think above expectation. We never believe above our, our normal. We never believe above our status quo. And because we never believe above our status quo, we never see anything happen above our status quo. If you can't imagine it, if you can't expect it, then how is it going to happen? I'll give it to you this way. You want to know the ingredient that kills miracles? The ingredient that kills miracles is a lack of expectation. These people didn't expect Jesus to do anything for them. Even though he was literally right in front of them doing miracles, they didn't expect anything more from him. And then because of their unbelief, he couldn't do anything more. Some of us have gotten too comfortable with the Holy Spirit, too comfortable with Jesus, too comfortable with the Father God. We've gotten too comfortable. We're used to doing things in the rhythm, but we've gotten too comfortable with who God is. I'll be honest with you. I was praying because I was like, God, is this from you? But there was a song that was stuck in my heart while I was sermon prepping. There was a song stuck in my heart. And this song is by a woman by the name of Beyonce. And in this song, she's singing because she's disgruntled about a man that she used to date. And so she says some things to him that are kind of tough. She tells him, you've gotten too comfortable. She tells him, you must not know about me. You must not know about me, because I could have another you in a minute. She tells him, don't you ever for a second get to thinking you're irreplaceable. Now, Church of God of East New York, the weird thing is, I felt like God was saying something similar. Some of the words were different, but it was something similar. I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to us, don't get too comfortable. Church of God of East New York, you must not know about me. You must not know about me. Don't you ever for a second get to thinking that I am not still the God who can deliver, that I am not still the God who can save, that I am not still the God who can transform. Don't you ever for a second get to thinking that I still can't do something new. And so the two things that started to kill the miracles right in front of them, first, first, they saw who Jesus was and they wouldn't expect, accept him for who he is. Second, they got too comfortable. Here's the third thing, and I'm almost done. This is short, I'm almost done. Here's the third thing. 
Third thing is this. They weren't obedient. And they weren't obedient because obedience is costly. I want to stay here for a little bit. Your obedience will cost you something. It is expensive. And a lot of us hear the Spirit talking to us in our daily lives, but we don't listen because of how expensive it is of what he is asking us to do. There are some people in this church that I love that are great at getting a bargain. They, they are excellent at going to stores and finding out when something is on sale and getting that really expensive piece of clothing for cheaper than anyone else probably on the planet is wearing it. There, there are people in our church who are so great at getting a bargain or a discount. However, there are certain brands that never go on sale. There are certain brands, no matter what happens, they will never have a sale. Why? Because those brands know the actual value of the product that they are handing out. And so they can never actually let this product go on sale because they know how much it costs them to develop and create this product. I'm here to tell you your obedience is just like that. T.D. Jake says it this way, your obedience costs what it costs, and it never goes on sale. Your obedience and the value and the cost of your obedience will never go on sale. Why? Because if we were able to discredit the value, then that must mean it's not as valuable as it actually is. Your obedience is costly. It is valuable. And when we do not pay that cost and give it to God, we quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. If I were to ask you, does the Holy Spirit move in your life, what evidence would you be able to give me? If I was to ask you, does the Holy Spirit move in supernatural ways in your daily personal life, what evidence would you be able to garner? What, what, what evidence would you be able to give to show that he does? And here's why this is important to me. I'm just going to go over the three points just so everybody remembers them. One, don't forget who Jesus is. Don't be so comfortable with who Jesus was to you that you can't recognize who he is. Second key is don't be comfortable with God in general. Third key, be obedient to God regardless of what it costs you. And here's why this matters. This week, my heart was broken. Many times. I saw the death of a young man named Dante Wright. I saw the death of a young man named Adam Toledo. I saw the death of many people in different places of the United States of America due to mass shootings. And regardless of the scenarios and regardless of if you want to argue over what happened in each of these scenarios, the fact of the matter is there was someone who was created in the image of God who is no longer breathing, and they should be. And my question to God always is, God, like, what, what do we do to change this? What, what do we do to make sure this doesn't keep... I'm tired of seeing this happen. I'm tired of looking at the news and seeing... I'm tired of watching black death, Asian death, 
I'm tired of watching all of this death on TV. God, how do we actually change it? And God brought me to something in the scripture that I didn't notice originally. He brought me to the fact that when Jesus went home, the first place he went to was the church. Jesus goes home to his hometown, his home community, his home country. And the first place he goes to is the church. And because the people in the church quenched the spirit, he left the entire region. Y'all ain't hearing me. Jesus first went to the church to see the level of belief, the level of obedience that the church had. And because the church was quenching the spirit, he left the whole region. So all of the miracles, all of the signs and wonders, all of the supernatural works that he would have done in the entire region were cut off because people in the church kept quenching the spirit. If we're asking why our world is not changed, it's because the level of breakthrough that happens in the world is fully determined by the people that are in the church. We have the answer. We have the solution. We have the move of God. If you don't believe me, look at the story of Jonah. Jonah runs away from his mission. He doesn't want to preach to the Ninevites. God literally swallows him in a well, throws him up on a beach, makes him go. Jonah then repents and begrudgingly probably preaches the wackest sermon in the Bible. He probably preaches the wackest sermon in the Bible to the Ninevites, telling them they need to repent. But the power wasn't in Jonah's words. The power was in the spirit of God who moved through Jonah's words. And even though it was the wackest sermon in the Bible, that whole city repented and changed in 40 days. Don't tell me God doesn't still move. Don't tell me the spirit doesn't still move. Don't tell me God still can't do that today. So how do we make sure this actually happens? We expect God to move. We acknowledge God for who he is and we obey him no matter how costly it is. I'll end with this. Jim Lyon, our general director, I was on a call that he was, he was a part of. And at the end of the call, he started exhorting the leaders that were on the call. And he said to them, listen, the Church of God movement is a holiness movement. We know that. It's, it's a holiness movement. And, and it was designed in order that people would be holy unto God. But sometimes what happens when people see themselves as holy is they start to separate themselves from people that they think are unholy. And he says that is not the point of our movement. The point of our movement is that the Holy Spirit who makes us holy is powerful enough not to just make us personally holy, he is powerful enough to make us personally holy, relationally holy, and communally holy. The Holy Spirit is powerful enough to create change in us, create change in our relationships, and create change in our community. But how do we do that? We do that by making sure we never quench the spirit in our lives. You can't give people something you don't have. You can't promise people deliverance and freedom if you don't have it yourself. 
You can't pour from an empty cup. You need to spend time with God. You need to not get too comfortable. And you need to obey him no matter how costly it is. And so worship team, if you could come on up here. The call today is pretty simple. I think this is a pretty simple word. The Holy Spirit is saying, I want to move in every single household. I want to move in every single life. I want to move in every single personage that is attached to this church and beyond. I want to move. The Holy Spirit is saying, I am a consuming fire. But we've got to ask ourselves something that the people in Jesus' hometown never asked. We need to ask the question, why is Jesus here and there are no miracles? We need to ask in our personal lives, if Jesus is here in my personal life, how am I not seeing moves of God? The answer may be that we are quenching the spirit. We're not being fully obedient. We're not spending that time with him. We're not acknowledging him for who he is. And so what I'd love us to do as a sign of surrender is I'd love us to make a new commitment to God. That Holy Spirit, I won't quench your fire. I will allow your fire, your all-consuming fire, to rage in my life and touch whatever it wants. I I will allow your all-consuming fire to consume me because I realize that that's how I actually come out as gold. That I need your fire to purify me. I need your fire to make me who I truly am and who you created me to be. And that same fire that does it for me will do it for all of my relationships and will also do it for my community. God, I need that fire. Father God, Abba, our prayer is simple. Our prayer is that we would let your fire rage in our lives that we would let your fire do whatever it wants to in our lives. Father, that we would never quench you because we realize that personally, relationally, and communally, this world needs an unquenched Holy Spirit. And Father, the fact of the matter is, if you can't use us, you'll use somebody else. I don't want that to be the story of this house or this church, Father. Would you allow us to open ourselves up to do that costly obedience and allow you to move however you want to move, wherever you want to move, whichever way you want to move, Father. Father, would you never, ever, ever be quenched in our lives or in this church? And Father, I pray that we would see a changed East New York as a result. I pray that we would see a changed New York as a result. I pray that we would see a changed tri-state area as a result. I pray that you would change this nation and this world as a result. God, you want to move. Help us to let you move, Father. Help us to let you move however you want to. Help us to let you do the signs and wonders that you want to do. In your mighty and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. That was a great message. 
Thank you for joining us this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and tag us in your social stories at C-O-G-E-N-Y. Thank you to those who have given generously to this ministry in the past. And if you'd like to become a contributor, head over to cog-eny.com. That's cog-eny.com. And just click on the offering and donations tab. Again, thank you so much. Now God bless.